Well, if you have a Bible with you, please turn with me back to that passage that we read from in Matthew chapter 14. And uh, I want to look at this uh, passage this evening. Well, in particular, I want to look at Peter's prayer. You'll notice that I gave it a very unimaginative title, Peter's prayer there in uh, verse 30, Lord, save me. That's what I want us to focus on this evening. But just as introduction, it's just worth noting this wonderful passage of scripture because it's full of so many truths, so many things that we can glean from it. It's a a passage of scripture that is mentioned not only here in this gospel but in the other gospels too where Christ, he, he sends his disciples out on this boat, constrains them, tells them to get into this boat, cross to the other side while he goes up alone into the mountain to pray to his father. And we have this wonderful scene here of the disciples being tossed about in the middle of the night on this little boat and there they are the wind is contrary to them the sea is boisterous and they are trying desperately rowing desperately toiling to get to the other side and there's so many things that we can draw out of this passage and as I said just by way of introduction just notice some of these with me notice firstly that Christ spends time alone with his Father. What an important point that is for us as God's people, that we should spend time alone with our God in prayer. Christ, he sends the multitudes away. He sends his disciples away. In the busyness of all of his schedule, he takes time to seek the face of his Father. How often is that a needed message for us as God's people, to take time with our God in prayer? We see something of the mystery of providence in this passage as well. Here is the Lord Jesus Christ and he constrains his disciples to get into this boat. This is the eternal son of God who knows all things, who controls the wind and the waves. He knows there's a storm in the middle of that sea. And yet he constrains his disciples to get into that boat and to begin that crossing, knowing full well that they would be met by that violent storm. Now he constrained them. I imagine that some of those disciples, the experienced fishermen, they could see the conditions. They knew the storm was brewing. They they didn't want to go. But Christ tells them, go, go. And we see something there of the mystery of God's providence. How often does God place us in trials in the midst of storms and difficulties for the perfecting and the sanctification of our faith? And yet at the same time, we see the unceasing care of the Saviour in this passage because while Christ sends them and constrains them out across this sea of Galilee all the time he is watching them the gospels tell us that while he was on that mountain praying he saw the disciples that's a wonderful uh, verse a wonderful description that we have not here in Matthew's gospel but it tells us that he could see them there's darkness there's waves they are halfway across the lake and yet Christ could see them in the midst of their difficulties and not only that but he was supplicating for them there on top of the mountain and then to provide comfort he strides towards them and then he speaks those wonderful words of comfort be of good cheer it is I be not afraid he says to them I am I am the God who has no beginning and no end. I'm the one who cares for you. And you see here the wonderful, unceasing 
care of Christ our Saviour for God's people. What a picture that is of the church. There's those disciples in the midst of all their troubles and their turmoils. There they are in the boisterous waves and yet Christ sees them. He's supplicating for them. He strides towards them. And he issues and he speaks these words of great comfort to that little group of believers. And so this this passage here, it provides us with this wonderful account of, of this moment where the disciples are on this ship. And it uh, provides for us not only these wonderful details, but Matthew's gospel brings in this extra element that none of the other gospels brings in about Peter walking on the water. And again, we see something here, don't we, of our the faith that Christians can have, but also our weaknesses and our tendencies to see the troubles around us and to take our eyes off the Lord Jesus Christ. And Peter there in verse 28, he he asks the Lord, you know, impetuous Peter, as he was, comes out of the ship, walks towards Christ, but in verse 30, when he saw the wind boisterous, he was afraid, and beginning to sink, he cried, saying, Lord, save me. And so this passage that we we have here, it deals with so many lessons concerning faith and trust in Christ and providence and Christ's unceasing care. But as I said, I want to look at this, this verse here in verse 30 and the prayer of Peter, because here in the middle of this great scene, which deals with faith and trust and providence and Christ's care for his people, we see also in miniature a picture of salvation, of what it is to come and to trust and to find salvation in Jesus Christ alone. Peter there in verse 30, he begins to sink. And so he cries out, Lord, save me. And so this evening as we look at this subject of Peter's prayer, I want us to have in this, this in our mind, this is a picture to us of how a sinner can come and trust in the Lord Jesus Christ and find faith in Jesus Christ. And so, in a sense, I'm really speaking to those of you perhaps here this evening who, as of yet, you're still outside of Jesus Christ. You still don't know Christ as your saviour. Well, I want you to follow this passage with me and see some things about Peter's prayer. And I trust as we do so that you will follow Peter's example and that you will cry out, Lord, save me. So let's look at this little prayer. Three words, three very simple words. And just notice with me, firstly, this evening, that this prayer of Peter concerns salvation. Peter's prayer is about salvation. That middle word in the prayer is save. He says, Lord, save me. It's about salvation. The very central theme, the subject of Peter's prayer is that he would be saved. You notice Peter's position here, his request is that he would be saved. Why? Because he is sinking. He has just been walking on the water, but now he is beginning to sink because he's taken his eyes off the Lord Jesus Christ. Here is a man who was an experienced fisherman. No doubt Peter from a a very early age could learn to swim. No doubt he uh, was a very capable swimmer. And yet at this moment he sees his great needs. The wind and the waves are too much for him. And he's sinking. And he's falling. And he's perishing. Now the word that's translated here, save in scripture, it's a wonderful word because it speaks of deliverance from death. 
That's what the word means, in the word save in scripture. It's, it's very different from the word rescue. Rescue implies that there is danger, yes. It implies that there may be a problem, but the word saved always has the sense of survival, of being saved from imminent death. And so Peter cries out here, he doesn't say, Lord, rescue me. He says, Lord, save me. I'm dying. And my great need is salvation. And here is the great need of all mankind. Here is the great need of you and I this evening. It's to be saved. You know, it's not that we need to improve our thinking habits. It's not we need to be more self-assertive at work. It's not that we need somehow to have certain outward improvements to our lives. It's not that we need to improve our daily habits. No, what we need as human beings is salvation. We need to be saved from our sin. I was hearing just this past week about a particular kind of therapy that's very popular apparently in, in, the, in the States. You get given a band that you put on your wrist or you put in your pocket and it's ribbed. It has various bumps on it. And the idea is that when you put your hand in your pocket and you feel these bumps, you say to yourself, I'm the best. I'm good and I'm fantastic and you say a certain things over to yourself as you feel and you rub these bumps. Is that what we need as, as human beings? No. What we need is salvation. We need to be saved from our sin. And friends, this evening we need to recognise our position. Peter recognised his position here. He was sinking under the waves. He realises what I need is salvation. I need to be saved. Lord, save me. And perhaps this evening, friends, you may be very successful. You may be physically very well. You may be, your business may be thriving. You may be the kind of person you've done very well for yourself in this life. Maybe you're the envy of all those around you. But sadly, you're in peril. Sadly, you're in great danger. Maybe you don't realise this this evening. Peter would have been lost beneath those waves. Without salvation, he would have perished if he hadn't cried out. He would have been lost. And it's the same for us as sinners. Before a holy God, we would be lost, eternally lost. Scripture tells us that, doesn't it, over and over again, that our sin, it leads to death, eternal death. And this evening, you may not perceive this, you may not realise this, you may not understand this. You may, not, you may be blind to the reality of the fact that you are lost and that you are perishing. You know, when I go to uh, Northern Ireland, you hear lots of stories from the times of the Troubles. And people come and they tell you often very interesting and, and amazing stories of people, but there's, there's always one kind of story you hear very regularly over and over and over again. They'll tell you about their friend or their next door neighbour, somebody they knew perhaps, and one morning this person got up and they were going to go to work as normal and they got dressed and they had their breakfast and they grabbed their lunch and they said goodbye to their wife and they got into the car and they put their key into the ignition of the car and as they turned the ignition, the car would blow up. Some paramilitary group had planted a bomb in the car. They didn't realise when they got into that car that they were in imminent danger, unaware of it. And yet, 
They were, without realising it, a moments away from death. And friends, this evening you may be unaware of the peril that you're in, but the Bible tells us that what we need is not some therapy, not improvement to our life, we need salvation. Friends, this evening have you realised the peril that you're in? Peter cries out, Lord, save me. Notice, though, also secondly, that Peter's prayer is not only about salvation, but it's also specific. Notice the first word of this prayer. He, he says here, Lord, he directs his prayer to the Lord Jesus Christ who's in front of him. He cries out in his great distress and his great danger to the Lord Jesus Christ himself. His prayer is directed to the eternal Son of God who only a few hours before this event had multiplied bread and fish to a multitude. He's the great creator, the creator of the ends of the earth and he's standing there upon the sea as if it's just dry land. And he directs his prayer to him. He does not seek help from the disciples. No, they couldn't help and they were powerless to save him. They were toiling in the boats. They were unable to, to help poor Peter as he's perishing beneath the waves. And so he cries out to the Lord. His prayer is specifically aimed at Jesus Christ. And so he cries out loudly, Lord, he wants the ear of the Saviour. Friends, this evening we must cry to the Saviour to save us. Only Christ can save Acts 4.12 tells us, doesn't it, for there is none other name under heaven given among men whereby we must be saved. He cries out for the Lord. He doesn't look around him at his, and, and, and ask for somebody else. He doesn't just simply cry, save me, but he cries, Lord, save me. And you see, in doing that, he not only is crying out to Jesus Christ, but he's acknowledging who Jesus Christ is. He addresses him as Lord. He comes as a servant before his master, as a, as a subject before his sovereign. And his cry not only expresses that he understood who Jesus Christ was, but it's a, it's a cry of humility, isn't it? He's crying, he's expressing that not only do I realise that you're Lord, but I'm nothing and I need you to help me. He's one of humility, he's begging, he's pleading, aware that he has nothing to offer Jesus Christ. He doesn't come and cry, Lord, save me, and in return I will do this and I'll do that. No, it's simply, Lord. And friends, this evening there's the pattern for us. You see it all the way through scripture. There must be an acknowledgement of who Christ is. He is the saviour, he is the redeemer. He is the one who came to save and seek and to save that which was lost. You remember when Christ was born, the angel came and said, Thou shalt call his name Jesus. Why? For he will do some good things? No. For he will do some wonderful miracles? No. For he shall save his people from their sins. And you see the pattern all the way through Scripture. You take the dying thief as an example. 
There he is hanging upon the cross. There is Christ in front of him. His image, his visage is marred more than that of any man. This, there is Christ dying, the crown of thorns on his head. He's bleeding. He's suffering. And what does he say? Lord, remember me. He acknowledges his, the where, who Christ is. And sinner this evening, that's what you must do. Not only must you cry for salvation, but you must acknowledge who Jesus Christ is. He is the Lord. He's the creator. He is the one who is upholding all things. He's the one who could walk on water as if it was dry land because he's the one who's made all things and sustains all things. The very fact that you have life tonight is because Christ has given it to you. And you must come humbly must come reverently you must come pleading begging Lord I realize my position I realize I need salvation and so you come to the one who's yes who is Lord is the king of kings and Lord of lords but the one who's also the great savior of sinners the great redeemer who died at Calvary when we see our need of salvation, when we see the depths of our sin and when we see the greatness of Christ, then we must acknowledge, we must come humbly, kneeling, pleading, acknowledging that we have nothing to bring. Nothing in my hands I bring. Simply to thy cross I cling, top lady wrote, didn't he? Let me ask you this evening, friends, have you done this? Have you cried out, Lord, Save me. You notice, not only is this prayer of Peter's a prayer of salvation, not only is it is a prayer that's specific, but it's also a prayer that is self-centered. Now, you need to listen to me closely here, because it's not self-centered in the sense of like the Pharisee who went up into the temple to pray. You remember that occasion recorded by Christ that parable that he told about the Pharisee and the publican who went to pray, and the Pharisee, you remember his prayer, it tells us that he prayed thus with himself. He said, God, I thank thee that I am not like these other men, extortioners, unjust, adulterers, or even as this publican, I fast twice a week. I give tithes of all that I possess, and so on. A selfish prayer, a self-centered prayer. Praying thus of himself. No, Peter's prayer is not that kind of prayer. No, scripture tells us that kind of prayer is wrong. That's not prayer to God, that's prayer to man. That's just trying to impress everyone around us. No, the prayer of Peter is self-centered in that he acknowledges that personally he is in peril. There's no self-glorification here with Peter. He doesn't cry out to Christ, Lord, I've just taken three, four steps across the water. I deserve to be saved. No, he acknowledges that he personally needs a saviour. And today I think this is very important because with all the various media platforms that are, are out there, all the things that you see on the internet, everyone is very self-assured and self-confident that what they think is right. That's what Twitter thrives on. That's what, it, that's what all these media platforms are, are feed into. Someone writes a comment on Twitter and everyone else has to write back, what a load of rubbish that is. And of course, my opinion is the best opinion. 
And we, within a moment, we, we, you write something on Twitter and everyone else comes in and tells you just how terrible it is and how wicked you are and, and, and what, a, what an awful person you are. And, and the whole idea is it's self-glorification. I've got the right view. I'm the one who understands the way this world works. I'm the one who understands how this world or this government should be organised. I've got all the ways that the COVID-19 should be sorted out. Everyone's right. Everyone else is wrong, but I'm right. But no, Peter comes here and he realises and he acknowledges his position. I'm in peril. I'm in great danger. I need salvation. And there's where we must be as sinners tonight. We must acknowledge where we are. Acknowledge that we've sinned against a holy God. Acknowledge that we've rebelled against the God who has made us and who cares for us and who sustains us. The one who in a moment could just wipe us from this earth in a, in a, just in a blink of an eye. You see, Peter comes here, Lord, save me. He doesn't point at the disciples and say, Lord, you know what? Those disciples are in terrible trouble as he's sinking. You, you need to go and rescue them. And I think so often in this life we're so keen to point the finger at everybody else and yet we forget that there's three fingers pointing back at us and accusing us. Sinner tonight, we need to acknowledge our sin. Again, let's take the dying thief as an example. He looks at Christ. Christ, you've, Christ has done nothing wrong, but we deserve, he says to the other thief, we deserve the punishment. I deserve death. I deserve it because of my sin. Friends, this evening, have you acknowledged your sin before God? Have you acknowledged that it's you that needs salvation? Not everyone else around you. Peter looks at himself and prays, Lord, save me. Don't compare yourself with someone else. The world loves to do that, doesn't it? Well, this person is a terrible person. This particular of a person committed great crimes against humanity. This particular person in history past did this, that, and the other. I'm not like that. Just like the Pharisee, I'm not like other men. Now, if you're ever going to be saved from your sin, friends, tonight, you need to pray, Lord, save me. But then fourthly, notice with me that Peter's prayer was short and simple. Peter uses three words to pray this prayer. Three syllables. Lord, save me. And you know, I, I uh, often do this sometimes. Uh, I asked my son, six years old, do you understand what the word Lord means? He gives a reasonable explanation. Do you understand what the word save means? Yes, and again, gives a reasonable explanation. Do you not understand what the word me means? Well, of course, every child understands what the word me means, don't they? But you see what I'm saying? These three words are so simple. And it's the shortest prayer you could possibly imagine, the shortest kind of sentence that you could possibly imagine. Subject, verb, object. Lord, save me. You know, there's no... There's no this is not a book... This is not a prayer out of some prayer book. There's no highfalutin mumbo... Jumbo, there's no spiritual terminology. It's just three simple words. Lord, save me. 
What an example this is to us, isn't it? comes with such simplicity. His prayer cannot be misinterpreted. There's no way you could mistake the object of his cries. Peter is perishing and he wants to be saved. And here's a reminder to us, isn't it? We don't need some, some great words to be accepted by God. We don't need to come with uh, some great offering or some lengthy liturgy to, to somehow please God. No, come just simply. Come and pray like Peter. Lord, save me. I was going to say the youngest of you here tonight can understand these words. There's not many young here tonight, but apart from all of you, you know, excluded. But you know what I'm saying? We, this is so simple. When we realise our sin, when we realise our desperate needs, this is all you have to do is cry, Lord, save me. Notice, fifthly, this prayer was a swift prayer. Peter is sinking. His need was great. He had little time. Shortly he was about to be plunged under the waves. Soon he would be perishing. With his last breath before he plunges under the boisterous waves, beneath that surging sea, he cries out swiftly, quickly, in utter desperation. He cries, Lord, save me. There's no time for a lengthy discourse with the Lord Jesus Christ. No time to express the reasons why he was beginning to sink. No time to give excuses for the reason why he was beginning to sink. No, just a few moments to cry out this short, this swift, and this simple prayer. Lord, save me. And friends, this evening, our need is the same. It needs, we need to cry quickly, swiftly. If you're still in your sin this evening, you need to fly as quickly as possible to Jesus Christ. Time is short. If COVID-19 has taught us anything, that, that life can change so quickly. You know, the scripture over and over again is full of expressions of the brevity, the shortness of life. Let me give you a few. Life is likened to a tale, Psalm 90. Has a beginning, a middle, and an end, doesn't it? A story. It's over so quickly. Life is likened unto a shadow in Psalm 144, a shadow that just fleetingly passes through the day. It's likened to wind in Job 7, likened to a handbreadth in Psalm 39. James 4 reminds us that our life is but a vapour that appeareth for a little while and then vanisheth away. When you boil the kettle and you see that steam rising, look at yourself, that's life, a vapour. Job likens the swiftness of life to a weaver's shuttle. He likens it to a post, a runner, running with the, uh, a message. Isaiah 40 tells us life is like grass growing. It's like the flower of the field that appeareth for a little while and then vanishes, is gone. Isaiah 38 said it's like the removing of a shepherd's tent. That's what life is like. Like the dismantling of a shepherd's tent. Psalm 102 says it's like the consuming of smoke. Life is short. Life's over so quickly, isn't it? And the older you get, the more you realise how quickly time rolls on and marches on. And the older they get, the more people that you know who have gone before you, who've died, and you realise that life is so short. 
David writes in Psalm 144, Lord, what is man that thou takest knowledge of him, or the son of man that thou makest account of him? Man is like to vanity. His days are as a shadow that passeth away. I don't know if I've used this illustration here, but I'm going to use it again because I remember as a child, a minister coming to our church, and he said to us, boys and girls, do you know what vanity's like? I remember sitting up and listening because I thought, I don't, I don't understand this word. You hear this word in the Bible. What does the word vanity mean? He said, well, I've got something to show you what vanity's like. And he reached down behind the pulpit and he was down there for a little while. And as boys you know, and girls, you were sat there on the edge of your seat wondering what he was going to pull out. And he pulled up his hands and he went like that. I've never been so disappointed in all my life. But it struck home to me. Vanity's nothing. Our lives are as nothing. Man is like to vanity, David says. And tonight, if you're not saved and you're still rebelling against God and you're still in your sin, let me urge you, flee quickly to Jesus Christ. Come to him swiftly. Fly to his arms. Flee to him. Paul writes, Behold, now is the accepted time. Behold, now is the day of salvation. He doesn't even say today is the day of salvation. He says now. Today he's got another four hours, five hours to go. But you might not see this day out. No, no, Paul says now is the day of salvation. Well, lastly, notice with me that this prayer was a successful prayer. Peter's prayer here, Lord, save me, was a successful prayer. He cries out, Lord, save me. And you notice what the next verse tells us, verse 31. And immediately, in the Greek, it's not and immediately, it's immediately and. To give the impression, look, straight away, Christ was there. The moment Peter cried this prayer, Jesus was there stretching out his hand and he grabbed hold of Peter and he hoisted him up and he saved Peter. There was no delay from the Saviour. As you read the passage, the impression is that Peter's still quite a way away from the Lord Jesus Christ. The fact that he even has to cry with a loud voice suggests that Christ is still at some distance from him. And yet the moment he prays this prayer, Jesus is there. You know, friends, this evening, you don't have to wait for Christ to save you. It's not as if Christ is going to save you at some point in the future. No, the moment you cry for salvation, the moment you cry for forgiveness and you come humbly to him, he's there. You're saved in a moment. And it's not just for that moment, but it's for all eternity. And Jesus stretched forth his hand and he caught him and said unto him, O thou of little faith, wherefore didst thou doubt? There was Christ stretching forth his hand, his hand of power. You know in scripture, whenever you read of the hand, it pictures power. And not only does it picture power, but it's the organ of action, isn't it? It's the thing that we use to do things with. And Christ stretches forth his hands. The hands of power, the hand of action to save Peter. Friends, this evening it's the same. The hand of the Saviour still outstretched to save. 
And for all those who cry to him, the hand is there to save in the day of trouble. For all who see the need of the Saviour, that hand is still stretched out and can catch you from perishing in your sin. Remember what Isaiah 59 verse 1 says. It says, Behold, the Lord's hand is not shortened that it cannot save, neither his ear heavy that it cannot hear. He can hear your cry and he can also stretch his hands ready to save. Let me ask you this evening, what about you? Christ stands ready to save. His hands is stretched forth, ready. That hand that was once pierced and nailed to the cross of Calvary so that he might take away your sin, that he might die in your place. Let me ask you this evening, will you cry for salvation? Will you be saved? You know, in Romans chapter 10, turn with me to Romans chapter 10. This is how Paul describes Israel of old. There's a warning for us here for all those who refuse the cry of Christ to be saved and refuse to come like Peter and say, Lord, save me. Romans chapter 10 and verse 21. But to Israel he saith, all day long I have stretched forth my hands unto a disobedient and gainsaying people. The Lord has to rebuke those people. My hand was stretched forth in salvation. My hand was stretched forth to save but you are a disobedient, again saying people, you are, you are in contradiction to me, in rebellion to me, but my hands were stretched forth. But he wouldn't come. Instead, friends, don't be like Israel of old. Instead, friends, tonight, call upon him. Peter swiftly but very simply cried, Lord, save me. And I trust that all of us here tonight would know the salvation of Jesus Christ who came with that purpose of saving lost sinners.